0: build a business model that you feel extremely passionate about, make it a 1 or 2 pager. Don't worry about the product for now. The product will evolve to fit the business model.
1: Welcome to Honest Ecommerce, where we're dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And I believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you're struggling with scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriciio slash connect to learn more. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honest Ecommerce. I'm your host Chase Clymer. And today, we're welcoming to the show the CEO and founder of Sheets & Giggles, a sustainable but funny first betting brand based in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Welcome to the show, Colin. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Chase. Awesome. So we are going to start this in a very fun place. Let's talk about when you got fired and what led to uh, the beginning of Sheets & Giggles. Sure.
0: Sure. The day I got fired. So that was September 25th, 2017. Uh, It was a Monday. It was warm outside. I remember like it was yesterday. Um, (laughs) So basically, uh, at 1 o'clock on a Monday, about just over 3 years ago, I actually got laid off from uh, the longest job I had ever had, which was at the startup that I had helped co-found with a few friends of mine. And that was really painful because I actually had spent about 3 years in my mid to late 20s there. I had you know, given a lot of blood, sweat and tears, had gone through tech stars with that company, raised millions of dollars from great venture capitalists. And we had hired a team of about 20 people working in downtown Denver. And unfortunately, it all came crashing down very suddenly when my friends and I all got laid off at 1pm on a Monday afternoon. And it was you know, coincidentally right before holiday. So I was running all of our retail partnerships at the time. You know, uh, really great partnerships with folks like Target and Brookstone, and you know, we had on-air deals with HSN and QVC, and we were nationwide in stores. You know, those phone calls I had to make that day to those partners, letting them know that suddenly that was my last day, and you know, they had a lot of questions about what about the units we're expecting, the shelf space, holiday really Brings back a lot of tough memories from that day. And so I did what, you know, most people would do getting laid off uh, in the afternoon on a Monday. We went and got tanked at a local margarita place just down the street, my friends and I, after I made all those calls. And that night, with all my friends from the company, I started telling them about what I was going to do next. And the one thing I could not stop thinking about was sheets and giggles. And I got laughed at a lot that night by my friends. Uh, but three years later, it's, you know, I think I incorporated the company three weeks after that day, and now three years later, it's it's a dream come true. No, no pun intended.
1: Well, so I guess this idea uh, you didn't have this idea in the seven hours uh, between getting <laughs> fired and, and and you know going and having a few drinks. So where did this idea come from? How long had you been you know stewing on it? I think it was more than a few drinks, actually, that day.
0: Um, but So I had been uh, stewing on that idea for probably about 3 or 4 months at that point. I remember I actually had bought the domain one night. This is a true story. And it's the most bizarre founder story. I, you know, A lot of people are like, Oh, I had this very personal problem. Or you know, a lot of people in the bedsheet space are always like, Oh, I stayed at a hotel and the sheets were so nice. And I thought there has to be a better way. But for me, it was actually kind of funny. I was watching a movie called War Dogs with Miles Teller and Jonah Hill. Have you ever seen it?
1: I have. I have. It's a good one.
0: Yeah, it's a great one. And uh, I give it like a 7 out of 10. Um, <laughs> but so uh, Miles Teller's character is uh, selling bed sheets out of the back of a pickup truck in the beginning of the movie, if you remember. And uh, he get you know gets turned down by all these retirement homes. You know, They're saying, Oh, I don't... I don't need great bed sheets, like my people at the homes can't feel their backs. yada. yada you know very mean customers and um miles teller's character has like ten thousand units of inventory, right that he has to sell or he's gonna go broke and go bankrupt and I got so frustrated with this guy's character i you know I turned to my now ex-girlfriend because this is the type of person that I am, and I was like, this is ridiculous he <laughs> he bought all this inventory, he didn't do any market research he you know, didn't didn't do any pricing research and he doesn't understand his core customer, his demographics. You know what? Pause the movie. And I wrote a business plan for a bed sheets company that night. And whenever I write a business plan, I always think, What is a funny name for Blank? You know, for this company. And I thought I just snapped my fingers and I was like, Sheets and giggles, that's a funny name. And I bought sheetsgiggles.com. I bought, you know, at not bought, but I I got all the social handles at sheetsgiggles everywhere. I love that it matched up. So, you know, no and in the URL or the social handles. And I just became enamored with this idea over time. It like worked its way into my brain of a funny first betting company that was also like sustainable premium products. And when I got laid off, it was this opportunity to take what I had learned from my prior company, which was a consumer electronic. Ah, uh, that was heavily physical retail, and bring it online with a more direct consumer model with a very different product category, and basically do all the things that I wish we could have done differently at that company, differently for my own company.
1: That's awesome. So you just uh, jumped in feet first after you kind of had this just in your back pocket. What do all e-commerce stores have in common? That's right, customers, and those customers are going to have questions. Gorgeous is the leading e commerce help desk with over 5,500 customers on Shopify, Magento, and Big Commerce. Their software is built with machine learning to optimize your support system and allow your team to save time and money on repetitive inquiries while still remaining personalized. What it does is take all of your customers' insights and information, brings it into their amazing dashboard so you can solve your customers' problem as quickly as possible. If you want to give Gorgeous a try, visit slash honest to get your second month free. That's G O R G I A S dot G R S M dot I O slash H O N E S T. You get laid off, you're diving in, and you know, how did you start iterating on like what you were going to do for the product? How did you kind of get the first product to market? Where'd you go to kind of with your first initial marketing push? Because I guarantee there's people listening to the podcast right now that have a good idea for a product and they don't know what their next step is.
0: Yeah and that and going from 0 to 1 is I think the hardest part of any company it's also my favorite part of any company and so for me I'm like a very methodical person when it comes to business planning I think a lot of entrepreneurs do it opposite of the way that I do it which you know it's a very typical founder story oh I I saw this problem and I and I built the solution and I invested tens of thousands of dollars in it and I got it patented and then I bought some inventory and now you know, I get this question all the time in Denver, and and it's a sad question because it, it the question is how do I sell it, and I I can only think of how many pre-orders people. I I know somebody who invented this box for on-the-go tissues, and it's actually quite brilliant. Um, it's it's a really cool invention, and I hope them that they're successful. But it was at uh, Startup Week in Colorado last year where I did a panel and they asked me, I said, Hey, I, I've spent $50,000 on the patent for this, as well as the initial manufacturing run. I've got you know <laughs> 20,000 of these in my basement, and I'm trying to get deals with retailers or funding for venture capitalists, but I'm all out of cash. What do I do? And I, you know, the answer is you go back in time and you don't patent it and you don't create the inventory and you'd use that $50,000 to do a banger of a crowdfunding campaign. And so long story short, I would as of right now, if you're you know someone who has a product idea, my best advice is to build a business model that you feel extremely passionate about, make it a one or two pager. Don't worry about the product for now. The product will evolve to fit the business model. So create your business model, understand your go to market strategy, your channel strategy, distribution, points of differentiation, uh, your brand voice, do a brand identity map, do a financial model, understand your cogs, your fulfillment, your return rates. Um, you know what your bottom line looks like at the end of the day, what your fixed cost might be, therefore what your break-even is going to be from a per-unit perspective. And you're, you'll hear me start to name things when it comes to business model, brand identity map, and financial model that are very concrete, tangible things that I did in October and November of 2017 that don't cost you a cent. And then once you're convinced that the financial viability is there of the business model and of the product that you want to build, then you can start backing your way into it from that perspective. So for me, my perfect business model was a massive commodities market with no brand differentiation or loyalty that had no switching costs so customers could adopt my product without any pain. That was largely traditionally physical retail, so I could help bring it online with a direct-to-consumer model. That also um, was something that didn't have any good sustainable options, so I could differentiate on the sustainability. Um, and preferably something that was highly fragmented, so no market leader that I had to chip away at. And that was really the, the business model I built. And I was partial to Sheets and Giggles and I already had the idea at that point. But I looked at sunglasses, I looked at tables, I looked at you know, other different verticals that in different commodity spaces that I thought might be interesting. Apparel, and at the end of the day, I was just so in love with the brand of Sheets and Giggles that I went forward with the bed sheets, And plus, the you know, bedding was a perfect fit. $12 billion US commodities market growing 10% year over year. The top 5 players only own like 27% of the space, so highly fragmented. And at that point, I didn't see any good sustainability options. There were only cotton and polyester as the main options in the market. And so from there, you know, once I built the brand identity map, the financial model, the business model, I passed it around to people, mentors, people that I respected, I got advice on it. Um, people said, "Why not this? Why this?" You know, challenging me with some of my assumptions, and then from there, I began doing materials research and sourcing. I did some initial designs in terms of what I wanted my bed sheets to look like, feel like, extra deep pockets, corner tags that said different things, what the packaging should look like, and then from there, um, you know, in the home textile space specifically, there's a manufacturing conference every year in March in New York City. That I went to, and that with different manufacturers, I found someone from an, from both a you know uh an ethics perspective and a capabilities perspective with what I needed to produce the materials and the quantities that I needed and the colors that I wanted, my designs, and signed I think our initial purchase order was like a three hundred thousand dollar purchase order, <laughs> which was terrifying and uh and went off from there but there's also a couple of things I'm leaving out that I'm happy to dive into like. Why I signed the purchase order, the confidence I was feeling with the pre order that we were gearing up for, the crowdfunding campaign we ended up doing. Um, and this is all kind of happening in tandem around uh, Q1, Q2, 2018.
1: Yeah, let's just kind of dive into outside of doing kind of this business feasibility exercise all over the place. You know, a lot of great stuff you shared there. You were also launching an Indiegogo. So dive into that a bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so uh, specifically, I chose Indiegogo over Kickstarter for a number of reasons. The main ones are that Indiegogo is more geared towards like sales and and variants of items, so sizing, colors, whereas Kickstarter is more of like a project basis crowdfunding platform. Kickstarter does have I think three x the daily visitors of Indiegogo, so you do lose some traffic, but you are more discoverable because there are fewer projects on Indiegogo.
1: Businesses are the most successful when they own their data, customer relationships, and their growth. That's why more than 50,000 e commerce brands like Living Proof, Huckberry, and Solo Stove trust Clavio to deliver their ideal customer experience. Clavio is the ultimate e commerce marketing platform for online brands of all kinds and all sizes, with email automation, SMS marketing, list growth tools, and more. You'll get everything you need to build strong relationships that keep your customers coming back. If you're tired of relying too heavily on paid advertising or third-party marketplaces for your sales success, you're not alone. It's time to take back control of the customer experience. More and more online businesses are moving to Clavio to grow higher value customer relationships through personalized email and SMS marketing. and The results are staggering. On what's typically the biggest weekend of the year for online retailers, last cyber weekend alone, brands made nearly $1 billion in sales through Klaviyo's platform. That's 3.1% of total online sales that were powered by Klaviyo. Ready to drive future sales and higher customer lifetime value with a marketing platform built for your long-term growth? Get a free trial at klaviyo.com slash honest. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash H-O-N-E-S-T.
0: So those are some of the reasons why I chose that over Kickstarter, in case anybody's wondering. Um, We began gearing up for this crowdfunding campaign. We gave ourselves 12 weeks to prepare. Uh normally you want to do eight to twelve weeks for preparation for a crowdfunding campaign. And the number one thing that people I think get wrong with that is they rely on their friends and family to finance their entire project, which is just not how it's gonna work. People forget the day of, they, you know, maybe don't love you as much as you thought they did. <laughs> um, or at the end of the day, even if you have, you know, a hundred people who really deeply love you and who are gonna give you, you know, a hundred dollars out of their pocket, that's still only ten thousand dollars. And for most companies, you're going to need far more than that in order to be successful. So generally speaking, for a crowdfunding campaign, it's all going to rely on your email list in terms of success or failure. And so for me, my goal internally was $100,000. Externally, we made it $50,000 um, because we wanted to anchor on something that was a little bit lower so we could then do on um, you know goals to unlock and duvet covers and comforters. It was a strategic thing and I can get into the goal setting if you want. Um, but internally, we wanted to make $100,000 because we knew that with a $300,000 PO, we could break it up into three shipments. And the first shipment will be $100,000. And basically, I knew that one, we could get to market and actually deliver a product with that. And then two, was that uh, that would be enough, in my opinion, to convince external investors that there was a market for this punny, ridiculous brand that I was building. And so from there we just went work backwards from the goal. So $100,000 goal, average unit price is going to be $70, average order is going to be 1.5 units, therefore average order value is $100. On day 1, you generally want 30% of your overall goal on a crowdfunding campaign. That's just how the math works. So if you have a $100,000 goal, 30% on day 1 is $30,000 on day 1 is what you need to make over a 30-day campaign. And at $100 average order value, $30,000 on day one, that's 300 distinct individual customers I needed to pull out their credit card and give me their money on day one of this Indiegogo. So therefore, if you need 300 customers and an email list reasonably converts at about 3%, then I needed 10,000 emails of interested, qualified people who had bought into the brand in order to guarantee without a doubt that we were going to be successful for this. And so, for 10 weeks, that's all we did. We created content, landing pages, photography, videography, all low cost stuff. You know, I had a photographer friend of mine for 500 bucks come out and do our photo shoots for a couple of days. Really, really awesome work by Megan. And I got all my friends as models, very cheap, you know, paid them in pizza and whiskey. Um, and we got you know bed sheets that I don't even think were our brand; <laughs> they were just white bed sheets. And uh, we had a blast. We drank whiskey, smoked cigars, played with dogs in bed all day. That was back in February of 2018. We put that content on landing pages that we created with Shopify and Kickoff Labs, which is a great landing page software. And then we went ahead. And when I say we, I mean me and my intern Haley. And then also, we hired a crowdfunding agency named Russell Marketing, who I trust with my life. And we set about gathering emails. And we ended up capturing 11,000 emails in 8 weeks of Facebook ads to early adopters and look audiences of early adopters. And we did that at, I believe, an $0.89 cent cost per lead. So it was just under $10,000 spent in preparation for those 11,000 emails. And on day one, we launched and we got four point five percent conversion from our list, just like clockwork, and we got forty five thousand dollar day one, and that ended up snowballing into a two hundred and eighty four thousand dollar crowdfunding
1: campaign. Colin, I cannot thank you enough for literally walking people through the math behind doing a successful launch. That thank you so much. No,
0: yeah. For sure, it's it's just like it's, and I know I, I rambled there for a little while, but like it's such a specific formula, and I feel like a lot of people just they think like oh yeah, like I have a thousand emails plus like my LinkedIn contacts plus like my Facebook friends, and it's like no, like you got to think that your social followers are going to convert at less than one percent. They're not people that have bought into this. or people that bought into you, but not into this. And so it's really that email list, and and gathering that is so crucial. So I always tell people, you know, make sure you have thirty times the emails that you want for day one sales. If you convert three percent, and model it out, if you convert at two percent or four percent, what's it look like? And God forbid you convert at one (laughs) percent, but I mean, what what that look like too? So
1: oh, absolutely, yeah. It's that that's like why I like this industry is because you can get kind of very nerdy with the math, and it also makes it's easy to pull your gut away and just look at the numbers and make a choice based upon data. But you could also argue that sometimes the best decisions are the ones that are you're ignoring the data and going with your gut.
0: Yeah. All the time.
1: Nobody likes insurance, but everybody should have it. Mistakes do happen. Our partner Rewind can protect your Shopify store with automated backups of your most important data. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps or collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Trusted by over 70,000 businesses from side hustles to the biggest online retailers like Gymshark, Gatorade and Movement Watches. Best of all, respond to any of their welcome emails and mention Honest e-commerce to get your first month absolutely free. So with, with, with launching this campaign, so it took you... Oh, sorry. Can I tell
0: you a quick funny story about, about the, the trusting of the gut versus the data? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> although although I think the data would probably support this too. So it's literally it literally happened today. Um, and for those that are recording this um, the week before Black Friday, um, or the week of Black Friday, but we basically... We're going to do a discount plus donation deal, which is what we do every Black Friday. We, we do some percent discount, some percent donate and that goes with our you know sustainability uh, corporate social responsibility brand like we're a very giving brand you know we've donated like $40,000 to covid relief this year we've donated tens of thousands of dollars in bed sheets to homeless shelters to isolate symptomatic individuals from the general population like we love doing stuff like this but we were going to do 15% off and 15% donated And in some meeting this morning, somebody said, Yeah, you know, like 2020 has been a a hell of a year. Like, I wish our special was, you know, 20% off and 20% donated so we could, you know, uh, have some fun with that. And I just like kind of paused and I was like, Why didn't anybody bring this up before? It's, of course, it's genius. Of course, we're going to do 2020. So now, literally on a dime, we just changed all of our advertising, all of our emails, all of our website messaging, all of our discounts, our stuff that was queued up on Amazon. To be 20% off plus 20% donated. So that way we can save things like, you know, it's the most fun you'll have all all year to see 2020, or like it's the happiest you'll be all year to see 2020. And it makes so much more sense, even though it's another 10% off the bottom line. I think that content and that messaging and that discount level will convert at a much higher level and probably offset that. And you'll see greater revenues at about the same bottom line. So, that was that was just like one of those intuitive decisions that I just kind of immediately made that seems obvious in retrospect, and we'll just have to see how the data shakes out.
1: Yeah, and it's just so on brand for you guys.
0: Yeah, it's just a, it's a bit. So think <laughs> like if any any additional bits we can add to the roster, that's I'm always for it.
1: Awesome. So I just want to just dive right back into the uh, Kickstarter uh, Indiegogo. I'm sorry, I don't really want to beat yeah, yeah. this to death, but I just want to ha- ask us a more specific question. So, would you have kind of rough numbers of the overall? A cash investment for that initial launch, uh, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that's honestly like the zero to one, like you're that's giving it your all, and then also the time commitment that you were putting into this.
0: Oh, well, so that's the thing about the time commitment is that it, you know I was working eighteen hour days, seven days a week for probably eighteen months. Um, you know, there was a point where I was, and this is after launch, right? There was a point where I was in the warehouse eight hours a day, ten hours a day, packing boxes. You know, lifting hundreds of pounds here and there with my team trying to get orders out for holiday while on the phone with investors raising a seed round while, you know, then during lunch and at night doing all of the holiday marketing because it was November of 2018, December of 2018, all the holiday content and emails and website updates and CEO stuff on top of it. So, the time commitment is, just can't be understated and you know no one should start a business if they're not looking to work 100-hour weeks um for at least for some period of time but you know i but i also hate that like hustle porn so like i'm not glorifying it it's terrible but <laughs> but um then you know in terms of the the financial investment specifically i made a budget and i and i basically budgeted and i said look i think that I can get to market and ship product with I think it was something like a uh, hundred and fifty thousand dollars and that's what I need and I was like I know I can I think I can make a hundred thousand dollars in this crowdfunding campaign and that means I need another fifty thousand dollars from somewhere else and so and I and that you know that was Everything from photography to testing samples to shipping estimates for our first, you know, uh, thousand units to all the five percent that we were going to give the Indiegogo to what I needed to pay my crowdfunding agency to the hourly wage that I was paying my intern. So it was just a number of different things on top of each other that made up the initial budget. And then from there, I took that budget and I went to, and this is you know a very privileged thing to say, but I went to different people. not not investors necessarily, different people that knew me and trust me and who were my mentors in my prior company. And I said, Hey, I'm starting this company. Here's the business plan. Here's the business model. Here's the financial model. Here's a 3-year look ahead. Would you be interested in giving me an angel round of financing?" And from six different people, I collected checks ranging from five to ten to twenty thousand dollars, and pooled together sixty thousand dollars from six people that trusted me very implicitly. And there were people that said no. There, were, I, I probably talked to ten people. Six said yes, and four said no. I, I don't want to do this. And that sixty thousand dollars was then on top of a fifteen thousand dollar initial investment that I made into the company from my own savings. So I had seventy five thousand dollars of pooled cash, and I knew. Before the crowdfunding campaign, I had to spend $5,000 upfront on my Kickstarter, on my Indiegogo agency. I had to spend another 10000 at least in marketing. Another probably 5000 for photography and videography all in together to get everything that we needed from a content perspective. And then miscellaneous probably another 5000 here and there.
1: Since 2004, Avalara's vision has been to harness the power of cloud technology to help simplify sales tax for businesses of all sizes. Avalara solutions are designed to affordably scale with businesses as they grow over time. Tax compliance is not a revenue generating activity. So, Avalara's technology is designed to help you manage compliance as efficiently and accurately as possible so you can reclaim your valuable time and reduce risk in your business. With more than 1,000 signed partner integrations, Avalara likely integrates with the ERP, e commerce, mobile payment, and point of sale systems you use today. Find out how your business can be sales tax ready at avalera.com slash honest. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A.com slash H-O-N-E-S-T. Avalera, Tax compliance done right.
0: So I knew that before Indiegogo launch, I was going to spend $25,000 of that 75 k And then in order to get started on the production, I had to wire another $25,000 for our initial production run. To our manufacturing partners in India, so that was another twenty five thousand out of the seventy five thousand dollars down. So I was left with twenty five thousand dollars in cash ahead of the Indiegogo launch, and that I believe we used fifteen thousand to twenty thousand of that. I can't remember the exact amount on Facebook ads throughout the course of the campaign, and we turned that into you know ten x on that for the campaign itself. So basically, we went in with seventy five all in. And we came out with about a quarter of a million dollars out, and that was the initial kind of like uh, jumpstart for the company. And it was a quarter of a million dollars after Indiegogo fees, taxes, credit card fees, payments to our Indiegogo agency, um, and that was the cash that we were left with coming out of that. You just want to to be conservative, subtract twenty percent from your Indiegogo take to just be conservative on how much cash you're actually going to have when it's all said and done. And that's the breakdown of our initial numbers to get the market.
1: Awesome, and I just want to kind of point something out here that you skirted over, but I know it's kind of how it works with with these uh, Kickstarter, Indiegogo agencies. They take kind of a percentage of the win, right?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, and and depends on the agency that you use. Like, um, I, I won't name anybody aside from the folks that I work with. Again, they're called Russell Marketing. I do not get a kickback from them or any type of fee. I just love Will Russell and his team. He's my spiritual co-founder. We don't work with them anymore. Uh, we kind of outgrew them from an agency perspective because they're they're more of a crowdfunding expertise. But they're stellar. Anybody else? And I and I don't I don't mean this. Actually, I do mean this pejoratively. Um, most other agencies <laughs> in this crowdfunding space are just sharks. They're just terrible people. They're predators. They will you know say, oh yeah, you know we need a five thousand dollars setup fee or two thousand dollars setup fee, and then you know we'll spend our own money on our advertisements. And you get 80% of the sales and we get 20%. And how awesome is that? That way you're guaranteeing yourself a 5x return on ad spend. And it's our spend. You don't even need the budget. Oh my gosh, you're an early entrepreneur. You're full of hopes and dreams. You're optimistic. Give us your money and we will make this happen for you. You give them your money. They spend... that. You give them $5,000, $2,000, whatever the setup fee is. They end up spending $500 of it on their initial test ads. They get back to you. They say, Hey, sorry, the test ads didn't perform at the level that we need. And you can't expect us to allocate our capital to underperforming clients, do you? And they go allocate it somewhere else. They tell you to f off, and you're out four or five thousand dollars, three weeks worth of time, and now you've been taken advantage of as an early entrepreneur. And that is what every agency in this space does, except for, in my experience, uh, Will Russell and Russell Marketing, and 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 I. Yes, so frustrated when I think about those crowdfunding agencies preying on the hopes of early entrepreneurs.
1: Absolutely, and just for everyone listening, is like he should have that guy on the podcast. I absolutely am getting that email after this, so don't worry.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's yeah, I'll, I'll hook you up with Will. He's um he's a great guy, British guy. He, uh, you know, he I don't know why I specified British, but that's one of the things I think about him because <laughs> he's got an accent. But but so he actually, uh, what I you know, every and I'll just segue for a second. Every other crowdfunding agency that I talked to, and I talked to all the ones. If you Google Kickstarter agency, you know, <laughs> I'm not gonna name names, but there's like three or four that come up, right? And I talked to all of them. And I think two of them, like one of them outright rejected me. They were like, It's not interesting. You're not gonna make enough money. We only work with people that make over a hundred thousand dollars. And then two a week after we launched, they were emailing me, We'd love to work with you, like work with us. Like they don't, you know, they have no idea what's gonna hit and what's not. The second one. I think, uh, said, yeah, we'll work with you, give us a big setup fee. And, like, you know, they just didn't get a good feeling from them. And then the other couple were just, I just got this really sharky feeling. And I even paid one of them $2,000. And then they did exactly what I said. And they, they effed off after they spent the initial $800 out of it. And they took the other $1,200 and put it in their pocket. And Will, by contrast, actually got on the phone with me as a human being, talked me through what I was thinking, helped me understand why. I would pursue one goal versus the other per strategy. He then did research into the betting space on Kickstarter and Indiegogo in the past. He saw that Brooklyn had done like a $236,000 Kickstarter in 2014. He saw other betting brands had done 6-figure Kickstarters. And he said, I think we can make this work. I only work with campaigns I think can do $100,000 and I think that you can. And, you know, he's telling me, he told me his fee exactly what like you're talking about a small uh, upfront fee plus, you know, percentage take on the back end. And I'll let people negotiate with him themselves on what that looks like. And then he flew out to Boulder to whiteboard it with me before any money ever changed hands. And that was the moment that I realized I really wanted to work with this guy because. He was investing a few hundred bucks into a round trip ticket, and you know he went skiing for the weekend, so he got a ski trip out of it too. But like you know, I don't know. Pe- people you trust are are worth their weight in gold, and there's too few of them out there.
1: Uh, again, you're just dropping awesome knowledge bombs here and, and walking people through that. And I I have said it before on the podcast, and I think it is it is rare. That anyone other than a founder is going to help you find product market fit, and I think you might have just uh, given me a glimpse into uh, rethinking that.
0: Yeah, I mean, and Will, Will, I think that the trick is is that he's seen, and now it's just a podcast about Will. I'm going to send him this and tell him he owes me some type of champagne bottle. But you know, he taught me a lot of what I know about crowdfunding, and it's because he's seen so many founders come through and come to life. And he is a CEO himself of his own agency, so he's also a founder and CEO. So I think he just he just has a, a different perspective on it, and um, and you know and, and it holds true that like working with other people on his team was good, but not never as good as working with a founder. Like it's just, it's a completely different feel.
1: Absolutely. Uh, let's 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 fast forward a bit now. Sure. You guys are, are are you've grown a ton. Now we're into twenty twenty. You know, pandemic. Black Friday is right around the corner. This won't come out until probably February, though, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> what does things look like now? You know what I mean? What's the landscape uh these days? You guys are kind of out of that startup phase, you know, now you're into <laughs> what people would necessarily consider scaling, uh, is kind of what there's the the terms that are being thrown around kind of in the space. So what's different? Yeah, what's yeah. different between now and then?
0: It's just a different skill set. It's a totally different skill set. I like I am I'm really good at doing 80% of everything with 20% of the time. Like I'm I'm just a big 80-20 dude and I will crush customer service for a few hours, then I'll go to you know, this is back in the day back in the day, right? In 2018, when it was just me in my bathrobe in bed with my dog Harvey. Shout out to Harvey. He's got his own webpage, sheetsgiggles.com slash Harvey. He's the best boy in our VP of marketing. But so basically, that was like, do the manufacturing, do the supply chain management, create the product designs, like, you know, negotiate with the manufacturers, like do the customer service, create the content for the ads, do the photo shoots, build the shot list, like write the scripting for the videos you're doing, monitor the, the Facebook ad performance, like, it was just everything, and if you're, you know, a high functioning lunatic like me, like you can do it and scale to. I think before I ever hired a single employee, we had already made our first over half a million dollars in revenue. And we, and that was like in our first six months. And then we had had close to our first six figure month, but we had we had reached like ninety thousand dollars one month. And I was literally in the warehouse shipping boxes. And and I know it's still a baby because I say that was twenty five months ago. Like October first, twenty eighteen, was twenty five months ago. Um, and we just hit two years in in sales and shipping. And you know we go went from our you know close to a hundred thousand dollar a month two years ago in November of 2018 I think we did ninety thousand dollars that month to November 2020 will be our first million uh, dollar plus month in two years and so that can give people maybe the idea that the scale that we're at like I don't think that it's like to some people you know they'll, they'll hear a million dollar a month and in my mind and I have to take time to smell the roses and and be like, this is really awesome. If you told me this two years ago, I would have said absolutely. But to some people, you know, you say a million dollar month, and they kind of brush it off and say, oh, you know, like Albert did that in month six or like whatever, you know, like and and I think it's just all relative. Like you'll never like comparison is the theft of joy. And I think that like I get very happy when I think about this weird little company I built, scaling to an eight figure run rate in less than two years but you know the challenges are completely different like now i move from a founder who's doing everything to a ceo who facilitates and finances everything and it's a less fun job i don't enjoy it as much i deal with a lot more problems a lot more emotional problems a lot more people problems i am constantly you know trying to figure out how to put more money into the business without necessarily diluting us or taking on bad debt terms I'm always pushing the team to hit more aggressive goals, which you know can be a stressful thing, especially during a really challenging year that 2020 has been. You know, I don't get to do much of the content that I that I used to that used to be my my lifeblood. But it's about finding joy in the work product of your team because my team does some good cheat. <laughs> like I mean, they do some good stuff man and and I this year has been an exercise in the last six months of telling myself that more people than you are capable of really great content and capable of building a really good brand, and I'm just really really pleased with how I think I'd personally have like grown into the role, even though it is less fun than it used to be
1: uh I can relate so hard uh we've grown a lot this year, our team has doubled, and I do absolutely nothing that i used to do and it's <laughs> it's it's crazy to kind of i wouldn't thought this is what i'd be doing now
0: right exactly like you like you get really good at you know a, a bunch of different things and yeah like if, i'll put it this way a founder skill set is fundamentally different than a ceo skill set and that's why a lot of founders really actually fail or struggle in the transition and i'm saying that as someone who is at full blown risk of failing in the transition like uh, you know we'll see how it goes and that's why people hire Season CEOs yeah. take over from them as the founder. You know it happens all the time, and and it's not a bad thing. Like that, I actually used to look at it as a bad thing when I was in my twenties, and I would hear about a founder at a company hiring a CEO to take over their business for them. I used to say, how, you know, how could somebody run somebody's business for them better than they could themselves? And now I realize, oh, it's just a completely. Different skill set from going from zero to one versus one to two versus two to ten, and I think right now we're probably at like the we're probably past two. I guess I don't know what you what revenue level you'd consider like different stages of a business, but like we're two years into this thing, and I'm trying to figure out how to forecast inventory for two hundred SKUs and bringing enough inventory financing to have working capital for ninety day turns, and you know uh, figuring out hiring and you know scaling the team and doing this all forcibly remote in a you know pandemic riddled year like it's it's been wild man.
1: Oh uh, I can I can only like imagine how it is on on your side of it. Uh the one thing I do want to point out with you know oftentimes people blur the lines between founder and CEO and I want to kind of say like there is nothing there's nothing you're giving up as a founder if you hire a CEO except a little bit of money yeah. compared to what you own of the company.
0: Right. Right, like oh yeah, you know, like you might bring in somebody, and pay them a salary, and give them some of your founders' equity. But like hiring a seasoned CEO can be a, huge, a great call. And I and you know, I think that I have really worked. I've hired a CEO coach. I've gotten mentorship. I've really worked hard on this on this skill set. But like something as trivial as and I say trivial, it's actually crucial. The, the packaging, you know, like we had a meeting on that this morning where the team had redesigned and revamped the packaging, and I was aware they were doing it, and I saw the initial drafts, and I provided feedback into the process. But that packaging is my baby like that like that unboxing experience is Colin Macintosh like start to finish, and it everything from the notes to the bit to the copy to the designs to the doodles to the the experience, zero plastic, like you know, really great unboxing like that was something so crucial to me and so important to me. and then my team's telling me today like, yeah, we've already submitted the designs, and you know like if you need to change anything super big last minute, let us know, but we don't want you to make any major changes because it would be a pain in the ass, you know, that's something that like really made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And, I'll double check everything, but like I have to remind myself, like you hired these people, you pay them good money, like you trust them, like you handpick them, like they can do a good job. Like don't, you know, like don't reprimand them for doing their jobs like without you. And it's but it's a challenge, you know, like I'm a bit of a control freak. I think all founders are.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think one of the biggest learning learning curves that you have when you start to grow your team is you gotta like uh delegate, obviously, but you're you're not delegating a to do list. That's that is a recipe for disaster. You're delegating outcomes. Oh,
0: yes. Yeah. That It's so funny that you say that. Because when I hired my initial team members, I was straight up delegating a to-do list. I was like, great, you're gonna do this and then you're gonna do this. And like here's the things that you're gonna take off my plate, take off my plate. And it's okay with like customer service. And it's okay to some extent with production and supply chain management but it's not okay with marketing and it doesn't scale with any department and that's one of my of my biggest lessons is like and frankly you know i took the company from 0 dollars in an idea that i wrote on a piece of paper to you know over 2 million dollars of, of venture capital investment and our first several million dollars in sales you know, pretty much for myself. You know, crosschannel dot com and Amazon. Like, I think we had over seventy five SKUs before I hired anybody else. Like, so I took it pretty far. But the last eighteen months, since we hired our first employees in February twenty nineteen, so it's been about yeah you know, twenty months since our initial hires, and then we've we've only had for the majority of the company only three or four people, and now we have eight. Still very small. You know, the amount of work that eight people are able to do versus one is astronomical as long as you give them the ability, the autonomy and the the tools to unlock that work. And like that actually has been really interesting for me is to the realization I used to be a recruiter, and so uh, one of the lessons I used to have as a recruiter is people hire people like themselves, and that's true for both negative things, like hiring the same gender, hiring the same race as it is for positive things like hiring for the same personality and skill set traits that you're looking for in the role. That's why you always want the interviewer to be like the perfect person that you could hire again for the role. And I just have to tell myself like, look, you hired 7 little mini Collins that like, are super hostile to micromanaging, that hate 9am meetings, that don't like being overloaded that don't like you know <laughs> like all the things that i hated about <laughs> my past jobs so like don't micromanage them otherwise you will like lose people and that's what i have to remind myself of pretty much every day
1: uh, this has been this has been one of my favorite interviews i've done this year colin i can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast uh, obviously everyone go check out his amazing brand uh, sheets and giggles at sheetsgiggles.com is there anything i forgot to ask you though that you want to share with uh, the listeners before we go
0: um, and you know, I, it's, I, I hope I didn't take too much time away from the questions. If there's anything else that you that your listeners like to hear any specific questions or like one thing that's like helpful for everybody out there, I'm happy to answer it before I go. Um, the, the main thing I would say is that like, and it, hopefully it's inspirational is like any, I, I don't know how you feel about this chase. I hope you feel the same way, but like, for people that are in a good a good spot already where it's like you know you have a good job or you have you graduated from a good school, you have good prospects, maybe you have a little bit of savings in the bank, and it's a very privileged position to be in, so I don't take it for granted and i and I wish everybody had the same starting position that I had from you know where where I came from and and my backup plan. but if you have a good backup, if your backup is go work at Amazon, go work at Microsoft, like your backup is you know, go have a stable nine to five, then I would hope everybody out there would take the time to start their own company and give it a shot and spend six months trying to build something of their own. Because if your alternative is to just continue on the same path that you're already on for the next 40 years, like six months isn't going to change that. But it might change uh, it might it won't change in a negative direction. It might change it in a positive direction. So I hope you know I, I really like to inspire people to like give it a shot, try to start their own thing. And it might be the best decision you ever made. It was. It was for me for sure.
1: Awesome. I, I love that, and I'm right there with you. I mean, it's investing in yourself uh, is is always going to be a positive thing in your life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and it's not. You know, like I I made sure I did it in my late 20s when I had no no kids, no mortgage, no you know no roots, no life. Like man, I I see entrepreneurs with families, and I am so impressed and blown away, and don't know how they do it. i and I just. You know, can't imagine, you know, not being able to just do this when I was a a single young guy. But like, it's, it's, I hope that people out there take the chance and take the plunge. And, you know, I hope this is helpful for some people that are at that zero to one stage.
1: Absolutely. I'm sure it will be. And I I know we'll kind of circle back next year and have you back on and talk about what's changed.
0: Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. I would love to, I'd love doing that. And we can see uh, if it's, hopefully, it's all been good.
1: I hope so as well. You take care. All right. Thanks, Chase. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their journey and knowledge with us today. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our businesses. Links and more information will be available in the show notes as well. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, feel free to reach out and learn more at electriceye.io/connect. Also, make sure you subscribe and leave an amazing review. Thank you.